0: It's the truth. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than anything that you have sitting on your shoulders this morning. He's greater than anything you have in your head that that you think you can't handle. He's greater than that. He's greater than all things. He's greater than losing a basketball game. He's, He's greater than... Winning one, though it's harder to see that he is when that happens. When things are going well. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass they will soon wither. Like green plants they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of God of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the things that he wants you to, to desire in your heart. What a great word. What a great word we got last week. Honestly, um, I hope that went and sat well with you. Um, if, if you weren't here last week, you can, you can go on our website and you can watch the, the video uh, you can also, uh, if you're an iPhone person, uh, you can subscribe to our podcast and you can listen to the messages from Sunday mornings if you miss a morning uh, and, and, you know, you want to catch up, keep caught up, uh, you can do that as well. Anybody in this room like to read a good detective story? You know, a good mystery? Are there anybody, anybody like to read anymore? I mean, I, ha, okay, good. Whew, I just thought maybe I better double check that one. Uh, first, or or maybe watch uh, some sort of detective show, you know, like Murder She Wrote, or uh... I cut my teeth on Murder She Wrote. Come on now, uh, okay, uh, CSI. How about that for for instance? Um, you know, one thing that we need to remember when we Read or were engaged in a mystery of some sort is, is that even the smallest detail or character in the story is important. Uh, you may not think it at the time, you may you may gloss over them and not realize the importance of them. You know, like it was it was Mary Jane in the library with the candlestick. Okay? Somewhere along there, there's gonna be a detail that That tells you what's happening, and and we shouldn't overlook them, and that is especially true when we're reading the Bible, Uh, you know, and and sometimes it's the Holy Spirit just grabs us, it's a passage that we've read a hundred times, and and for whatever reason in this moment in time, there's this detail that that rises out of the text, And, and God pinpoints it for us in that moment. And that happens every day in our life, a decision that you make, a circumstance that happens in your life. Who knows that if that is even meant for you, it could be meant for somebody a hundred years from now, because you did that thing on that day in obedience to what God was calling you to do. And we're going to see that here in a second, I think. Um, So do we, do we doubt the significance of Joseph in, in, in the Bible, Joseph and Mary, Mary's husband? You know, after Joseph, we, we know very little about Joseph. In fact, after they returned from Egypt, he disappears from the text altogether. We, we never hear anything else about Joseph. We don't know if he was alive when Jesus was crucified. We don't know any of that. But we know that, that he was present in the story and what God gives us here was what we needed to hear. That's what we needed to know about Joseph, and and that's very true about Melchizedek. Finally, right, we're getting to Melchizedek, chapter seven. Even though Pastor Michael did eight and nine, eight, sort of nine, a couple weeks ago, um, and uh, Melchizedek is one of those biblical characters who's only mentioned three places. He's mentioned in the book of Genesis. He's mentioned in Psalm 110, and then he's mentioned in Hebrews uh, 5, 6, and 7. Three places. And uh, we have very little information on who he was. In fact, um, his part, though, is not incidental. He's in the Bible for a reason. This Melchizedek. Um, His blip in the Old Testament was a loud message to the people of Israel in the first century. And who he was and what he did is significant for us today. As all of scripture is useful for teaching and training and correcting. We we just have to listen. So we begin today. As we begin today, my question for you is, are you listening? Have you been listening? Um, Have you come to church today eager to hear from God the Father? Did you enter those doors this morning expecting to hear a word from the Lord? Um, As you tune in today, are you ready to connect with Jesus, your Savior? Is your mind and your heart present for the impact that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life today, which will then impact every day going forward? And I, I want you to close your eyes right now in this moment. I want you to quiet your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for this place, for this moment in time that you have given us today. A pasture with green, green grass and still water that our souls may be replenished, may be healed, may be quieted, that we may sense peace in this place and and wonder what on earth did I, did I just experience? But, but that we know that that comes from you. From the name of Jesus. And all of those things that are on our hearts and our minds this morning. Those people that we're concerned about. Help us to lay those down at your feet and know that we can trust you with them. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn to Hebrews chapter 7 if you would and follow along as I read if you're not already there. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestors. Wow, right? There's a lot in those 10 verses right there. Um, so, so here we go. The, the first point in your notes this morning is, who is this masked man? Who is Melchizedek? Um, who is this mysterious guy? In verse 1, we see that he was like none other, for he was both a king and a priest. This wasn't the way of the world. It never was, and it was never going to be a good thing if someone was both priest and king. You were either one or the other. So this way of Melchizedek is very much different. The priest Melchizedek, as I mentioned, appears in three sections. Um, Genesis fourteen seventeen through 20 is one of those. After Abraham returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God most high creator of heaven and earth and praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a 10th of everything. Now that's referred, uh, uh, David in Psalm 110 refers to that. Uh, Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that's foretelling the coming of Jesus, the the Messiah, and David addresses the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Specifically, after describing the victory and glory of the Messiah, David says this in Psalm 110, verse four, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind You, speaking of Jesus, are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In the order of Melchizedek. Now the author of Hebrews is speaking of Jesus. And he quotes Psalm 110. David is speaking of Jesus. So Genesis provides the background regarding the identity of Melchizedek. Psalm 110 connects Melchizedek to the Messiah And Hebrews chapters 5, 6, and 7 describe the supremacy of Jesus as the great high priest, using Melchizedek's role as an illustration of Jesus' priesthood and his kingship. Which is why I say our God is unbelievably amazing because he takes something seemingly small in the rearview mirror a long, long time ago. And he uses that. It's there for a reason, because he uses that in the future. The, the Bible utilizes the phrase, the order of, to point to a lineage. Okay, I, I, I guess I would be born in the order of Peter Lundberg. That's my great grandfather on my grandma's side. Immigrated here from Sweden in a wooden ship. Probably barfed the whole way over, I would bet. Okay, so this order of uh, refers to lineage. An Aaronic priest would have been a priest according to the order of Aaron. That's the Levitical line. That God established. These priests would have come from the lineage of Aaron. Sharing a similar function and nature. Another translation of Psalm 110.4 says that the Messiah will be a priest after the pattern of Melchizedek. Another one says after the manner of Melchizedek. Genesis 14 describes Melchizedek as the king of Salem. Which would later become Jerusalem. And a priest of God most high interesting to think about that, isn't it? Sometimes we disconnect Israel's history and Israel as a nation under God um, from the fact that God was ever present way before Israel became a nation. People served him. People believed in him. People were, it was counted unto them as righteousness. Abram recognized Melchizedek's priesthood through his tithing of the possessions he had taken in battle. So, God is capable in working in the details to such a degree that, interestingly, the incident in Genesis took place before the institution of the Aaronic line, which was part of the Levitical priesthood, which was to mediate between God and man under the Mosaic law. Melchizedek was not a priest of Israel. He was a priest of God, as that nation did not exist yet. Abraham had no children yet, and the Levites would not become a priestly tribe for another 400 years. But God was laying the foundation, wasn't he? God knows what he's doing. God knew what he was doing then. He knows what he's doing today. In your life and in my life. In the circumstances that you experience and the circumstances that I experience. Psalm 110 describes the messianic nature of Jesus' future role with an emphasis on Jesus' eternality. It is in the context of Jesus' kingship that David writes about the Messiah being a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Priests according to the order of Aaron were not kings, but priests alone. However, as the author of Hebrews says, Melchizedek was both a priest and a king. And in the same way, Jesus holds the dual role of king and priest. And he will be that for the rest of eternity. This eternal nature of the order of Melchizedek is presented in Hebrews 7.3. Verse three says, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever, which makes you think that he's some supernatural um, different thing. And, and there are a few commentators that, that want to lean towards Melchizedek actually being a theophany of Jesus, um, a, a representation or a manifestation of Jesus himself, but, but it doesn't say that. It says that he resembles Jesus. So he wasn't, nor was he, you know, an angel of the Lord. Melchizedek appears in history with no record of a genealogy or ancestral line, no record of his birth, and no record of his death. And I believe that this is a literary device that the preacher is using, similar to the one that he uses when he says, it's written somewhere. He said he has said that several times in the text so far. It's written somewhere that God put this in there somewhere. Well, what he's saying here is it's not recorded anywhere. And he's using that as a way to illustrate Jesus lying as well. Commentators do believe that Melchizedek was an actual man. The point is this, Melchizedek appears, appears to transcend external um, earthly existence, which makes him a type of Christ. Okay, write that, write that little phrase down, type of Christ, who truly does transcend earthly existence as our eternal king and priest, who has no predecessor and no successor in his high office. Now, very briefly, I really wanted to get into this, but the longer I studied, the the less time I had for this, but a type of Christ is something that God uses in Scripture to point directly at Jesus, okay? The, The Bible itself is what determines what things are a type and what things are not, Sometimes we can think, we can say, well, that, that thing over there sort of illustrates what Jesus did. Okay, that's an illustration. That's not a type of Christ. Um, this type of Christ description is, is man made, uh, but, but this is what it's describing. For instance, in John 3 14 and 17, but to save the world through him. That Moses lifting up the snake in the wilderness. What is that referring to? That's referring to a type of Christ that God placed in the Old Testament time when the the Israelites were being bit by these snakes and they were dying. And Moses is like, hey, we need to save these people. God says, here's what you need to do. You need to take a staff a post, and you need to put on that post a bronze serpent. And if the people will look at that, they will be saved. And if, you, if your ancestors experienced that, or as we even read that and we think about that and we, we think what, what that action looked like and what uh, Jesus is saying in the book of John right here, those two things are very similar. They were looking on that thing that was on a wooden post to save their life. And we look at this person, Jesus, who was on a cross, a wooden cross, and we are saved. That is what is referred to as a type of Christ, something in Scripture that refers to another time that was pointing forward To who Jesus was and what he was gonna do. It helps us see Jesus. One implication of Jesus' priesthood, according to the order of Melchizedek, is that the Mosaic law was insufficient to save. You know, if you talk to somebody today and they say, Well, you just, I just, I'm just trying to be good enough to get to heaven. Well, guess what? You can't do that, it's impossible even following the law that's impossible you can't do it verse 11 If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? So if God established this thing for the Israelites and it was just for a period of time until the time was right for Jesus to come, um, if that was good enough, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. We could have just followed the Levitical law and and received eternal life. Uh, Verse 12, for when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. Jesus changed the priesthood from the Levites, the line of the Levites, to the order of Melchizedek, the son of God, priest and king. We needed a better priesthood, an eternal priesthood to save us from our sins for eternity. We needed Jesus. One who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. A priest is a mediator between God and man. And and within the Old Testament, the Aaronic or Levitical priest would make sacrifices on behalf of the nation of Israel. They were representatives for the nation of Israel when they would do their sacrifices. And those sacrifices would have to be repeated over and over and over and over again. And eventually, the priest that practiced those sacrifices would die. And as a mediator, he would cease to exist. But not Jesus. Jesus. Oh, no, Jesus, our high priest in the order of Melchizedek, is not only our mediator, but he is also our sacrifice, and he is alive today. He is an eternal priest. He is an eternal king. My dear children, 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Because of his resurrection, death does not interrupt his work. Jesus will always remain our eternal high priest. Not only is Jesus the sympathetic high priest, but he is the king as well. Jesus will physically reign as king in Jerusalem. And his kingship will be everlasting. Much like Melchizedek was both priest and king, Jesus is also both priest and king. He is the eternal mediator between God and man and the final authority as reigning king. Soon to return. It could be tomorrow. Soon to return and establish his physical kingdom in the same city where Melchizedek was from, and that's Jerusalem. Which brings us to our second truth this morning. And that is, we draw near to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 13, he of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. That had to be hard for a Jew to hear. Think about that. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years they have been following the law. Now, granted, they were also being told that there was a Messiah coming, that Jesus was coming. But they got so ingrained with the law, so ingrained in those things that they thought was saving them, that when Jesus shows up, they Missed him. Isn't that us sometimes? We get so ingrained in what we're doing to save ourselves, to save our families, to save our business, to save whatever it is that that we completely and totally miss Jesus. Because it's all about me And, and, and my law. And uh, these, these people that the preacher is, is, is writing to are at risk of walking away from their newfound faith because they're being put under pressure from the outside and they're being drawn back to the old religion. And it's never been more clear right here. The preacher is saying, no, that does not exist anymore. It's gone. When we give our life to Jesus Christ, that old way is gone. We need to not live in that anymore. We need to live in the present, in the relationship with Jesus and the peace that comes from that. It was weak and useless, but it is, but, but it is God's way. You see, it isn't religious ritual that draws us near to God. It... it 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 isn't checking off all the anecdotal religious actions or experiences that draws us near to God. No, the law fell short. The Levitical priesthood fell short. Religious lists fall short. And anything we attempt to fill that void and that space with, that's not Jesus, will always be inadequate. Always. Always. And and praise God, it's an eternal deal. When we sell out to Jesus Christ, it's forever. And we draw near to the Father by this better hope. And that better hope is is in a relationship with Jesus. In John 14, 7, Jesus says, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. We need to know Jesus. We need to know Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. Not the law, not the priest, not temple, not baptism, not communion, or some class or ritual. No, a better hope has been introduced by which we draw near to God, and that is in Jesus Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? What a time to live today. Right now, we are in the time period when we get to experience a greater covenant forever. That's win-win for me. Number three is a greater covenant forever. Verse 18, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins Once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints appoints, as high priests men in all their weaknesses. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son, Jesus, who has been made perfect forever. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Michael showed us in chapter 8 how the new covenant through Jesus was a better covenant, a greater covenant. The covenant God made with the nation of Israel served, it served its purpose. It was for such a time as that. It was from God, so it was necessary and timely, but it was temporary. Verse 20 of chapter 6 says, Jesus has already gone in there for us. He's talking about the holy of holies behind the curtain that was rent in two when Jesus was crucified. God doesn't just tell us things, does he? He shows us things all the time. That, that, that curtain being ripped into was, how significant was that? God was saying, look, now you have access because of the great high priest, Jesus Christ. There is no longer the need for this place because Jesus is the one that we go to. Now, as today's message begins to draw to a close and we begin to look toward celebrating communion, which is a Christ-commanded and regularly practiced physical act of remembrance of what Jesus did for us, what he did once and for all, I want to focus on one word in verse chapter 22. It just jumped out at me this week. Anybody guess what that word is? It's the word guarantor. It's the word guarantor. Anyone know what that means? So, so, so a couple weeks ago, I think it's been two, I don't know. The, the last three weeks have kind of run. My daughter got married in Waco, Texas. And um, so along with handing your daughter off to another man, is then he begins to assume responsibility for that daughter. Leadership responsibility, spiritual responsibility, financial responsibility. We, I refer to that as cutting the purse strings in, in, in my family. And so she and I have been having these ongoing conversations of, uh, you know, she's got to get her name changed, and then, well, there's, there's this car insurance that we've been helping her with, and she's like, well, I kind of feel like, you know, I'm married now, I should probably pay all of my own car insurance, and I'm like, yes, that would be a great thing. <laughs> and, 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 you know, there are these, these bank accounts that she has that, that my name is on as well, and then there's this car loan that I signed with for her as her what guarantor which means what it means that if she ever comes to a point in her life where she can't make the payment it's all on me now i'm not saying you should do this as a parent Uh, my my children have been very responsible and i've never one time had to make her car payment. Though, yes, subsidize the insurance, not completely, but partially. That's what happens when you get a couple speeding tickets in an accident. It tends to go up. But here's the thing. By signing on their loans, I guaranteed the bank that that payment would be paid every month. That the debt would be paid and would be covered. That's what Jesus does for us. Not, not, not in case we can't, but because we can't. He is our guarantor. He is standing before the Father as our priest and king and mediator saying, their debt is paid because they have put their faith and trust in me as their Lord and Savior and king and priest when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that he is Lord, he says you will be saved. And that's when Jesus steps into that role as guarantor on your behalf. What a gift. What a gift. And if you haven't stepped in to that faith place yet, why not today? Why not confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is exactly who he said he is and that he has done exactly what he said he would do and that he is of the order of Melchizedek. He is an eternal priest, an eternal king. Because he came, he died, he rose again, and he reaches out to each one of us. He made that happen. It's by his stripes that we are healed. And so when you're sitting beside your mother or your father's bed at the end of their life and you don't know where to turn, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. When you're the one in the bed, cuz we will all likely be that one. May not have an opportunity to be even be in the bed. Turn to Jesus. When you think all things in your life are a disaster and you don't know where to turn, turn to Jesus. Whatever hunger and thirst and dryness and anxiety and fear and doubt have crept into your life, maybe it's persecution and it just you just want it to stop and you're tempted to go back to your old ways because you know that you didn't experience that uncomfortableness when you were there, turn to Jesus. Don't turn back to those things. He is the answer. He will lead you beside still water, and he will restore your soul. Repeat the words of Jesus from from John 6, 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And as I close now and the worship team comes up, I want to give you three words that I think can help with our focus. Three words. Those words are talk, time, and turnover. Talk, time, and turnover. Man, if you're wondering how do I turn to Jesus, it's these three words. Talk, pray, pray, have conversation with him. Listen to him. Cry out to him. Cry out to Jesus, son of David. Time. Meditation. Sitting quietly. Reading the Bible. Well, but every time I read it, I don't understand it. Well, you know what? Start, start in the book of Mark. And, and as you are talking and you are praying, ask God to help you understand what it is you're reading, and just begin to read chapter 1, verse 1 in the book of Mark, and read, let Jesus tell you through his word who he is. Time, talk, time, and turnover. Turn over control of your life to him. Let go. Let go. Let go of the people you love. Let go of the frustration that you have. Let go of the concerns that that are taking over your mind and creating pressure on your shoulders. Turn over control of your life. Surrender your wants and dreams. Surrender your attitudes. Surrender your sinful ways. Talk, time, and turnover. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the types you give us in Scripture, the illustrations, the the history that points forward to the future that that we're in right now. We're we're in this place in the present, and, and you have done things in the past, in our life, and in the lives of others that will affect us in the future. And you have been doing that since you created the planet. God, we need your help. We need help. We need help to talk. We need help to take the time. And we desperately need help to turn things over to you. And Father, as... As we celebrate this communion table this morning, as we remember what you did on the cross that was pointed forward and as now the author, the writer of Hebrews, the preacher, is, is looking at these people that are in this tough place and he's pointing back way back and saying, hey, that stuff was for a time, but it's a new day now. And Jesus is the real thing. He is the eternal priest. He is the eternal king. We go to him. Help us, Lord Jesus. Amen.